à neuf, c'est ok, tu es in. Après quoi, tu es KO, tu es out. C'est idem pour la boxe, le ciné, la mode et le cashbox. Ensuite moitié jean, j'ai mini carbure pas au mazout. C'est extrêmement pop. Si t'es à jeun, tu tombes en syncope. Tu aimes la nitroglycérine? C'est au bus Palladium que ça s'écoute Rue Fontaine, il y a foule Pour les petits gars de Liverpool Barbarelle, la garde tes bottines Et viens me dire une fois pour toutes que tu m'aimes ou sinon je te renvoie à ta science-fiction. You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Jean Safar, um, a well-known French cartoonist um, with not enough stuff in English. Uh, we have the Rabbi's Cat, uh, uh, Klezmer, uh, is adaptation of Little Prince, uh, Vampire Loves and the Little Vampire Series, as well as um, the Dungeon Series. And I think oh and you have the upcoming book from uncivilized um tom kaczynski's um uh, book publishing what was the title for that one i totally forgot to write it down i think you're just going to receive paskin in english language which is a highly pornographic material about a french painter in the 30s and uh, you might also get uh, the professor's daughter with uh, emmanuel guibert making the drawings and Sardine from Outer Space, and then I draw, and Emmanuel Guibert writes the stories. Mm -hmm. I totally forgot about those. <laughs> I have all of those sitting on my shelf. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. My um, pleasure. I realize there's, I don't know, are there many English interviews that you've done? Actually, yes, because my Gainsbourg movie was quite a nice opening in the States, and uh, uh, The Rabbi's Cat and uh, Little Vampire did well in, in the States, so they made me go for book tours. So oh, okay. it allowed me to practice English a little bit. And The Rabbi's Cat is on Netflix, I think I've heard. I heard that. I have no clue what Netflix is, but The Rabbi's Cat is there, so you can use that, whatever this is. Because <laughs> we don't have Netflix in France, we, we just have... Sorry, faces. Uh, the just uh, people just download. <laughs> oh, that's great. We, we, we use downloading for for porn in France. 
I'm, I'm glad to know it can work also for movies about God and religion and cats. This is a, a kind of a progression. You're far more civilized than we are. So we never use downloading with our pants on. Now, I was looking at your work and I was trying to figure out how to structure this. And I think one of the the main things um, is I want to talk about your background um, and about your family and how that kind of informs you biographically in, in the work you make. Kind um, of. I guess, yes. I come from a Jewish family, which is on the father's side, they come from Algeria, and on my mother's side, they come from Ukraine. So it's been an, a, a funny background for discussion and quarrel and religious talks and philosophy and so on. And I was very lucky because my uh, grandfather on the mother's side, he loved comic books. So he almost made me learn to read with a specially superhero comic book like uh, uh, Jack Kirby and John Buscema. Those were my kind of masters in comic book. When uh, I discovered comic book through uh, superhero rather than European comic book, thanks to my grandfather. When did you know you wanted to be a cartoonist? Um... Oh, I never wanted to do anything else. It's the only thing I was interested in, too, and I have proven myself unable to do anything else than drawing and storytelling. And uh, then when I was at Fine Arts in Paris, I was lucky enough to meet all my friends from L'Association who used to work in a studio. So that's where I really discovered the pleasure of working in a team. Sometimes you make the drawing and another friend writes the story. Sometimes you write the story for a friend. And uh, as soon as it was possible, comic book always was a collective work for me. And, and I have to say I enjoy that. That was the studio you shared with uh, Guibert? Emmanuel Guibert, Christophe Blain, Lewis Trondheim, David B, Emile Bravo. And I forget some of them. They were like... 20 cartoonists who have been there for some months, then they went away. You know, sometimes you need to be at home for working, and sometimes you, you need to be surrounded by friends because some projects imply uh, a kind of uh, fun ambiance. So uh, it's been a studio with many people. There was Marjane Satrapi also. So I, I guess most of the so-called underground uh, comic book artists have been through that studio. It's kind of very embarrassing to be called underground today because m most of us have made kind of uh, uh, mainstream uh, achievements, and uh, so, so you, you they, people can feel we betrayed the cause in a sense because unfortunately we 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 met success. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that that's something like for for me as a as an you know a reader from early North American comics or at least seeing the North American I. I uh, don't quote didn't quite understand or not understand but um i guess the style that you and your um contemporaries uh were coming out with was very much against uh what was kind of the norm in france when you were yeah oh more or less because actually we're a huge fan of classical comic books especially uh, Jacques Tardy, Hugo Pratt and there are many uh, elderly artists we really love let's not be pretentious let's say we arrived with our comic book and no one wanted to publish them that's why we created a smaller publishing house because we did 
black and white, we did sentimental story, uh, those were not genre story, it was like general literature, we thought comic book could address many kind of subjects, such as uh, autobiography, journalism, uh, uh, offending fiction, and so on. And um, I, I guess we didn't choose to go against any norm or anything. Uh, we were lucky enough to be rejected by by most of the big publishers. And um, and then when our works start to to have success, we we find way to 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 go to those big publishing uh, companies. Um, now, earlier you mentioned you'd gone to fine arts school. Um... Now, w was comics your focus at that time, or were you doing other kinds of visual? Yeah, I, I was making a fool of myself trying to do oil painting, and uh, I shall never show what I used to do in this day, but believe me, it, it was not interesting. Mm -hmm. But I had wonderful teachers, especially in morphological drawing and anatomy, and uh, I have uh, Mr. Jean-François Debord, who was head of the anatomy department in Paris Fine Arts School, and we had all the Disney team, like Glenn Keane and all his pupils, who went to attend the lesson of my professor. Because he was, he was such a gifted man to depict human being, animal, plants in motion. So I guess this drawing about anatomy and morphology, morphology was very useful for comic book. Because uh, I learned that a drawing is not here about being beautiful. It's here about, uh, it's about expression, it's about storytelling, it's about acting. And uh, drawing as acting is something I've learned in the fine arts school. So I guess I can be very grateful uh, to all my teachers. Now, you are um, a extremely, you know, sorry if I'm putting words in your mouth, uh, active cartoonist as far as um, like a high volume of work that you come out. Um, has it always been that way for you, that you've always been drawing? Yeah, uh, although I sometimes have trouble focusing on one topic. It means I can draw 10 pages a day, but it's very hard for me to finish a book. So most of my work have been unpublished and lost for many years. And then I found a way to focus and to make book that kind of makes sense, although it's never really coherent when it, it comes to my my work. And... Uh, and and I'm I'm between that and trying to make movies, trying to write novels. So it's a big mess. And sometimes I manage to finish a book, but really my life is a mess. Has um, working on movies? Um, do you approach that in the same way as your comics, or actually, in a different? Oh, actually, yes. Everything I do start with drawings and storyboard and sequences. So I feel movies are the a natural following of comic books. And and when you work with a big crew, they are very happy to have a director who's able to make drawings and watercolor, and uh, because it helps the production in in many aspects. And and I have to say, I have a passion for human beings. So drawing them, filming them, painting them—it's kind of what makes me happy. I haven't seen the the Games Board book um but i understand it's actually quite large like several hundreds and hundreds of pages that and that came out around the same time as the movie or a little bit before the movie yeah it's it's not a real comic book it's actually it's a huge mountain of watercolors and sequences that was made especially for the movie so it was issued the kind of same day and uh, and it's very I guess it's funny because there are of course many many moments who don't exist in the movie at all, especially because they were too expensive because it involved a lot of puppeteries and monsters and and stuff. 
but it, it can be read like a kind of graphic novel, although it's very loose. The, what is it about uh, Serge um, that you identify so closely with? Um, oh, he was uh, a, uh, about provocation. You know, France was a very tight country, very classical when I was a kid. And he was the closest thing we had to the punk movement. Every time he came on TV, he was about provocation and sex and getting drunk and anything. And it was there was a, a, a good seduction. He was uh, charming. He was a, a French lover. He was a provocator. He, and, and kids loved him. Because he did everything that was forbidden. It's uh, the most attractive thing an artist can do. You know, he said, uh, if your parents love your work, it means you've done shit. <laughs> um, was that the first... No, you did a short film before that. Did I? Uh, I was looking on IMDb. Uh, the, I'm not sure. Uh, the uh, Hyacinth. I don't know. No, I'm not sure. Maybe I did uh, some m musical thing for French rock bands uh, in animation or anything like that. But uh, no, I, I did a TV show about Little Vampire, animated. Okay. I did, uh, I did some video clips for French rock bands in animation mostly. And uh, and that's all. I did the long animated movie about the rabbi's cat. I did the Gainsbourg movie. And now I'm working with uh, Salma Hayek on an animated movie about the prophet from Halil Gibran, uh, with Liam Neeson doing all the voices, which which is great. And uh, and I guess that's all. Has that been a pretty natural transition then from comics to movies? Yeah, I, I love uh, I love live action movie. I, I have more trouble with animation because it's very difficult for me not to draw everything and. Uh, and unfortunately, I guess animators, they have a hard time working with me because I'm highly respectful of what they do, but the method from comic book and animation are quite different. So uh, there are learnings to be made on both sides for the comic book artist and for the animator. But when it goes to live action, I'm very happy and it's, it comes very easy. Now, the two books um, that really stand out for me as um, the... the that I've been able to read, um, Klezmer and Rabbi's Cat. Um, I, I'm curious about the dichotomy uh, they play, as you talked about in the back of Klezmer, about uh, that being about your mother's father or your mother's family, um, kind of that tradition that comes from, and Rabbi's Cat from your, your father's side. And um, I'm curious, when you worked on those books, was that ar around the same time? Um, or did one kind of come out of the other? Yeah, exactly. You're right. One came from the other. I mean, the rabbi's cat was my idea of tender nostalgia about Jewish family from North Africa. It's the thing I remembered from my father's family, who's a story from my grandmother, and it's the idea I had of a Jewish family, and with a cat who's provocative, and but but he remains inside this family, and those are kind of happy people in a sense. Uh, it's Jewish people kind of not only without the Shoah, but without the pogrom and without the, the danger in a sense. And um, and then after the rabbi's cat was perceived as a kind of instant classic, but not in a good way, as something reassuring, something 
people came to me and say, thanks to you, I go back to religion. But my, my book was against faith. It, it was kind of provocative. So I said, okay, let's go Eastern. Let's go to those Jewish people who had nothing like a family. It's just a bunch of musicians. Let's remember my grandfather told me when we escaped Poland, we didn't flee only the Russian. We also fled our rabbis. So I, I wanted to depict other kind of Jew who would be more provocative, more shocking, who would have a demeanor who is more like uh, Sergio Leone movie, although they don't have guns, but they have a musical instrument, but this is the same kind of excitement. And as it's about music, I decided to put watercolor on it because I wanted the drawing to look uh, not finished, to look moving, whereas the Rabbi Katz uses an imagery which is very reassuring, very classical, and was kind of inspired of colonial drawings. And it's something I find very funny. When white people arrived in Africa, they did fancy drawings about Jews and Arab and black people um, as if they were kind of, uh, you know, nice objects. It's the colonial way of mm -hmm. watching Jews and Arab and black people. And I found it very funny to use this imagery to tell a Jewish tale. So... Uh, me being a Jewish cartoonist, using the the sweet imagery of colonization and uh, reversing it, it's uh, so. I guess the rabbi's cat is more sweet than bitter, and klezmer is about joy and explosion and provocation. I was um, one of the neat things about klezmer is the uh, the kind of essay at the back where you talk about uh, identity, and I really got into that and really there's some real interesting stuff um you had to say in there uh, one of the things that was sticking out to me is you're talking about and i'm totally going to misquote it about um it's better to have m memory lapses than stories i think it was let's hope i got that right my notes are really bad sometimes mm -hmm. <laughs> um and so maybe tell me about like how uh, i'm creating these stories kind of um, ways of capturing those memories. Um, I'm not sure I understood the question. I don't think I understood what I was saying either. <laughs> um. but, but clearly, uh, the Rabbi's Cat is a classical tale. It tries to be universal. And on the other hand, Klezmer is more like an essay. It's more like improvised song or jazz comic book. So uh, it's more like uh, each character is a theme, and it'll come back periodically. Like in the States, you only have the first book of Klezmer, but there have been four, uh, which which has been published in France, and number five is on his way. So uh, it's way, way bigger than the Rabbi Scat, and, and uh, it's more loose, more improvised. So uh, in the Rabbi Scat, I, I depict kind of real memory of my grandmother uh, on the father's side. But Klezmer is uh, more improvisation in the mood. Is something I kind of recall of what my grandfather can have said, but uh, it's really an improvisation. So it's not about family memory. It's more about family mood, in a sense. How does uh, doing that really loose style um, allow you to kind of do more? Um, and it, you mentioned kind of jazz, and it kind of has that feeling when you do that loose style, like that kind of bebop, you just keep flowing and flowing and flowing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it works. I just try to do that. I try to uh, make an approach that would look like real-life drawing, although it's imagination. I try to use the same kind of material I have to do uh, sketches on the go, like 
I have a notebook, I have a pen, and I have watercolors. It's everything I would use to go in a cafe and draw people. And I do this for making imaginary character in a town that's been lost for my family for more than 60 years. So uh, it's a funny way to have your imagination working. I'm not sure it's that funny for the audience, because uh, as you imagine, when I do a classical book like Rabbi's Cat, uh, the audience is much wider. It's uh, you, you cannot expect the same success with Klezmer, which is kind of my uh, intimate notebook, but I need that. I need the dialogue between uh, classical drawing with pen and nib, with the Photoshop color, very simple behind, and on the other hand, watercolor for improving my movement, improving my storytelling. So I guess those are kind of two kind of tools uh, I try to use and uh, you, you always dream you are going to draw better. M maybe it's false, but using several kind of tools help you focus on your drawing, focus on your movement, and try. Uh, you know, I would not like a cartoonists to become uh, an artisan work, a craftsman. It's not about craft, it's about art. So you need danger. And in a sense, Klezmer is the most dangerous way of drawing I, I kind of found. I, I I liked what you said there about the the not a craft uh, art. Um, have you found yourself in positions where you've made work um, that you don't fully kind of creatively identify with? Um, yeah, like most artists, I hate myself. So every time I get a success, I suspect something must be wrong. And maybe it's very Jewish. I don't know. But when a book works, works kind of too much, I say, okay, if they understood everything, it means I need more undertext. I need, I need more rejection from them. I need more strange. So uh, it's very strange because you, you can work for grown-ups. You can work for general literature. There shall always be someone to remind you the fact that comic books are for children. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that it deals with the family and with pictures and so on. But uh, you always question your work between the imagery, imagery, which would be too much classic, and then a kind of experimental stuff that, that is going to look s s uh, art school after a moment. So uh, who am I addressing while I work is a central question, and, uh, and I'm not sure what to, answer, what, what to answer about this question. So I hate myself, basically, and then I draw again. Um. Do you find the work you feel more connected when specifically work made for yourself then? Or do you find work that is particularly like this is something I need to do for myself and less for the I have, reader? I have to say all the problems disappear when I get a co-author with me. When there's a book we are we are two people working together like with Lewis Trondheim for Donjon or other kind of book, I'm very happy because I'm not alone, I'm with a friend. We are uh, cranking jokes together as if we were working on a movie script. And uh, two persons in the room help me have much more fun, uh, less questions. And uh, maybe the audience is happier when, when there are two people behind the book. So uh, I wouldn't go for the purest kind of comic, like only me and the audience. Uh, when, it, when it gets collective, it's more fun. And usually... It's more difficult to do a fun story than a tragic or anything. Um, in my perception, funny is the most difficult thing to do. And if it's funny for kids, it's even more difficult. So 
if you ask me what's my favorite comic book, it, it would clearly be Little Vampire. Because uh, uh, when you manage to, to, to give something to a very wide audience made of children who couldn't care less about your, your face and your career and anything, they just care about the character. I have, I have letters from, ki from kids who ask me, uh, we would like to have news about Little Vampire. How is Little Vampire in life? So uh, those kind of moments make me very happy when they occur. Mm, that's great. Um, the dungeon, uh, probably the the work that uh, most still wide, I don't know, not most widely read, but very w widely read, um, and a lot of people really get into it, at least here in in North America. And um, earlier you mentioned about uh, sharing studio spaces with other folks, and so did it come out of that when you were completely. I had a passion for Lewis Trondheim drawing. As soon as I met him, he became my best friend and I wanted to do something with him. And he said no for a long time. So I, I always came to him with new projects and new projects. And then I said, okay, let's mix The Muppet Show and Conan the Barbarian. And he found that very funny. So we started to work together and all the friends were very excited. And it turned out to be a collective project about... Uh, well, let's finish with Heroic Fantasy. We wanted to do the ultimate Heroic Fantasy uh, story, which would mix all the references from Dungeons and Dragons and Star Wars and the Lord of the Ring with puppets. Those are not even animals. Those are like of uh, they are like the Muppet Show. They are like pair of socks, and uh, and it's fun because we all get the codes of those universe and 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 you know the secret between be, behind Donjon is. The heroic fantasy readers are not stupid people at all. They are high culture. They 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 study many things, history, philosophy, so on. so you can use this kind of story with many references, many quotes, many things like uh, like uh, you you know like the Monty Python used to do. So it never was a bestseller. It was not an instant bestseller. It was a, a great story with a very powerful fan base. And thanks to this fan base, we managed to, to develop the story, and we now have 30 albums of it, which, which is just unbelievable at our small levels. And we are just going to issue the two last albums of the Donjon series, and, uh, and it's going to finish all the 30 albums, so we're very happy with that. And, uh, and our fan base kind of grew old with us, because it's nearly 20 years since we started Donjon. So when we do cosplay, we are starting to meet old people in cosplay, which is kind of fun. <laughs> now I heard that um, the Dun you've had some great collaborators like um, uh, Boulet did one of the books, um, Keeloffer, and I yeah. heard that you had tried to get uh, Dave Cooper. Yeah, and Mike Mignola. Oh wow. Oh yeah, we and here's it's a tragical story. Uh, Mike Mignola accepted to do a dungeon album. He moved to New York, and there was uh, the September 11 uh, tragedy. And he wrote back to us, say, "Oh, I just arrived in New York. There has been this this tremendous tragedy. I'm not going to go for outside project anymore. I'm going to focus on my own characters." And uh, it's another reason to regret uh, this terrorist attack. It's we lost Mike Mignola in the process, and uh, and we had Dave Cooper for a moment, and he he, he changed his mind because he, he, it was kind of difficult to draw. You know, you go to Donjon, you 
think you're going to have fun, and then you realize it's a highly classical storytelling uh, mission. So it's very difficult. It's uh, the storytelling in Donjon is like in the Asterix of the Lucky Luke album, which is the more technical stuff I ever met for making comic book. It's mean, it means you have fun when you invent the story, you have fun during the storyboard, but when you draw, it's only technical drawing. It's just about uh, placing your camera, having the relationship with the character. You cannot have a, a splash page, you cannot have a, an easy moment. It's the absolute anti-Frank Miller narration. It's uh, Donjon, is, it's very difficult, it's very boring to do, to draw a Donjon album. And that's what what we wanted to do. We wanted to use this kind of uh, uh, classical European storytelling they have in the Asterix and the Tintin and Lucky Luke album. And uh, and it's strange because all the influence in Donjon, they are American or Japanese, but the storytelling, it's clearly Belgian and French. Tell me about um, how you uh, put together a story for a particular cartoonist. Do you kind of know you're working with Bonchette? and kind of do a story aimed um, at his strengths as a cartoonist? Or do you kind of have, like, stories and let's find someone that can draw this? Yeah, no. Uh, I only work with friends. And I have to say, I mostly work with people who are in my studio. So we never decide to make a book together. We, we, we hang out together, we get drunk, we do many things, and then a book arrives. So it's never like work. Uh, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to meet people who are very talented, and then we say, okay, let's work together. But most of the time, it's about working with friends. Uh, I admire many people, but I never had the chance to work with them. Uh, I work mostly with my friends. I'm just wondering about that process, though, of um, putting that book together with that other person, like how you um, work with their strengths as artists. And I'm sorry? When you're working, when you're collaborating on a book, um, and you're writing for someone else, um, do you, like write um, for them, like knowing what they're great at yeah. drawing. Yeah, not about their art, but about who they are. It's about I want to make this person happy. It's like he's my first reader. That, that's how I consider it. If I were for Christophe Blanc, and I know he loves to draw fights, he loves to draw beautiful girls and he loves to draw uh, violence, so I try to make him happy, but not, not as an artist, it's really, in my perception, he's, a, he's not an artist, he's my reader. I tell a story, and he's going to do whatever he wants with that story, so most of the time I do storyboards, but I'm very grateful if he doesn't follow my storyboard. I, I try only to bring a story, and I forget I can do drawings. Uh, what would uh, your storyboards look like? Like a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time you need to give me a phone call and say, come on, I neither, I neither understand your doodles nor your letters, so you got to help me. So you, I need to be sold with the storyboard. If you don't have a vocal explanation, there's no way it's Klingon work. Um, there was a short video, a short documentary on you uh, drawing in a restaurant um, and I, I was watching that yesterday and um, and your your Instagram feed is a lot of you drawing in restaurants and interacting with the food um, well one of the things I was thinking about when I, when I was watching that is uh, I'd read uh, Sempe's uh, Monsieur Lambert yeah and I'm wondering uh, if that was a big influence for you at, at oh, any yeah. point 
Oh yeah, uh, I have to say most of my influence come come from illustration more than comic book. Uh, Quentin Blake has been my master for many years, and we became close friends. And Sampe is with Ronald Searle, with Edward Gorey. Those would be my my favorite illustrators. Uh, and yes, the way Sampe watches Paris, watches the everyday world, uh, it's a constant inspiration. And and uh, we are very lucky to to have those kind of artists to inspire us. And and as far as I'm concerned, I cannot uh, work in quiet places. I need noise. I need pubs. I need restaurants. So there's no way you're going to have me in a quiet room for working. <laughs> um, how does that work? Uh, like, do you take a lot from your surroundings, from the people you hear, uh, from that. what you see? More or less, I try. I try to entertain people. It's kind of difficult because I'm growing old. I'm more than forty, so some of my readers are younger. So I cannot only rely on my friends or people of my of my age. So uh, I try to go out a lot to meet people and try to make them happy. My, my guess is any book is like telling a joke at the end of a dinner. If your joke doesn't make anyone happy, there's no point in telling it. So uh, it's kind of difficult. You know, you, sometimes you have uh, you are deep into your work and you have no idea if it has any interest. You just know you are nervous and anxious and you need to make drawings, and the, uh, that's the only thing you know. Now, did you you were documenting the Tour de France uh, yeah. this year, and so did you ride on that? Like, oh what yes, was that? it's going to be a book. They're going to release it for next Tour de France, and it's going. I guess it's going to be very provocative. Uh, I hated the Tour de France. It, it was unbelievably boring. And we had 7,000 kilometers in car because between every race, we need to go to another hotel and another place with a shitty car. And we almost died 20 times on, on, on the, the, the road. And there's nothing as boring as a biker. And, uh, and I have to say, I hated sports before. And no, I really know why I hate sports. And, and, I, and I discovered my country. I've, I've been to many places of France I had no idea about because I was born in the French Riviera. And since then, I've been in Paris. But I don't know all... You, you have Middle West. You know, there, is, there are many, many Middle Westers in France. So I discovered that. And uh, I was very curious about my own country and, and uh, amazed to see how, how little I know about my own, my own country. And so, they read so little comic book, really. Believe me, they don't read comic book at all. So you biked it. Did you train for that? Oh, no, no, no I was in the car. Oh, you were in the car the whole time. Oh, okay. in the car, and, and it was already exhausting. So believe me, there's no <laughs> way you're going to put me on a bike. Even driving the car was exhausting. This was enough sport for me. Uh, was this a book you were commissioned to do, or is this something you wanted to yes. to was, watch? No, no, it was French National Public Radio who hired me for that. I had five minutes a day of radio show. It was very provocative, very silly, and uh, I'm still amazed they allowed me to do that because I, I, I mostly insulted my own country during one month every morning, and then we're going to make a book out of it with uh, shocking drawings, of course. Now, you're, the, the next book you have coming out, you mentioned earlier, uh, Pacine, um you said most, uh, very pornographic. Yeah, right. it's, it's an old book. It's, it's been issued in France for a long time, but uh, sex has trouble traveling. You know, that's why it took so long for North American people to buy that uh, that story. And I have to say it's one of my favorite books because it's about painting, it's about uh, 
there are more naked guys than naked girls in that book. Or it's about fragility of a painter, of a man. And uh, and I, I love this character, Pasquini. He was a wonderful artist, a wonderful painter. And once again, a big provocateur. It's a guy who who was very important in France in the 30s, although less famous than Picasso and Matisse and so on. But he was important in the nightlife. And uh, and I love this character. Is this one of those books you would work at, work on in a restaurant? Oh yes, this one definitely. And and other place I wouldn't name uh, on the radio. Uh, this is drawn only in the middle of the night. There's no other way to do this kind of drawing. How many books do you find you work on at once? I don't know. I don't know. There are many things begun and some are never finished, and some at some moment. Uh, a book needs to be finished. So sometimes I have no idea what's going to occur in the next page, so then the book can sleep during two years. And uh, the best way for me to finish a book is for a publisher to oblige me to finish it. It means when I need money, I finish a book. It's the best motivation I have. You know, that's what Hugo Pratt used to say. He said, you need to make your drawings to pay your food, so you will, you will not have to worry about the fact to know if you're a real artist or no. You'll have the work to do and you'll perform it. And, and I have to say it always was a great motivation for me. Like uh, I need to finish something because the publisher is uh, giving phone calls. I need phone calls to finish my work. <laughs> That's what my agent does. He has me sign a contract, he has me get paid, and then he has people give me phone calls because it's not finished. Uh, and that that's why it was uh, an editor that helped uh, get us to talk today. Yeah, I'm not surprised <laughs> about that. Uh, thank you, Tomas, uh, for, for, for connecting us. Um, the long relationship with this one, because he was at Delcourt Publishing like uh, 20 years ago, and then I went to Dargo, and he went to Dargo also, so we, we kind of follow each other, Tomas Aragon. He's a great guy. It, do you have like... Um... Do you get much collaboration from editors, or oh, yeah. do you like give like a completed book? You know, um, I deliver my book like twenty page by twenty page, and they kind of tell me what they feel about that. So, uh, and sometimes I listen, and the book is good, and sometimes I don't listen, and the book is not good. So, experience taught me I'd better listen to my publishers. Um, what kind of books do you have coming out in France right now? Because um, we know, like, what's no, what? This is very embarrassing because I'm less and less a comic book artist. I'm doing novels basically now. Most of them are illustrated. Some are illustrated novels for grown-ups. Other are um, illustrated novels for kids, and some are non-illustrated novels for adults. Uh, I'm not involved in many comic books these days. Uh, I have no explanation about that. It's just it's a moment, I guess. But I'm drawing a lot. I'm making a uh, a lot of illustrations. It's a it's an interesting transition. Um, like Tove Jansen, uh, the Moomin artist, and oh, doing doing novels um, more and more and less comics after a certain point, or not comics, but the illustrated books. Yeah, I don't know. It's a moment. I guess it's a moment. You just kind of go wherever the creative spark takes you. Yeah, you know. It started in in the silliest way. I never finish my comic book, and my readers hate me for that. I do issue one, issue two, and then then nothing comes because I write so more quickly than I draw. I never can draw 
the stories I write. So it's kind of logical. It's not that I respect literature more than comic book. It's just I have a 500 pages novel and I, read, I need to write it and then I can spread some drawings around. But if I was to make 500 pages of comic, it would take three years of my life. And, uh, and I need my stories to be told. So um, maybe that's why I find myself making novel. I, I want my stories to be finished. Chacun peut me voir Je suis partout à la fois Brisé en une éclat de voix Autour de moi j'entends rire Les poupées de chiffons Celles qui dansent sur mes chansons Chacun peut me voir Je suis partout à la fois Posé en mille éclats de voix Seule parfois je soupire Je me dis à quoi bon Chanter ainsi l'amour sans raison Sans rien connaître des garçons Je suis une poupée de cire Une poupée de son Sous le soleil Cheveux blancs 